Welcome to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoig. Hey, Anna, did you hear that? I did. It's new music, and you know what that means. It means we're in a new year for the Behind the Books podcast. We are entering our fourth year, so we've been doing a podcast every other week for three years. Correct. Three years worth of podcasts every other week, 78 podcasts. So this is number 79, which is the first podcast of year four. So with each year, we give our listeners new music. So you can uh, feel free to leave us a little message about what you think of the new music. This is something that I'm very appreciative that you always kind of take on. You go out and you search for music that we're able to use um, with Creative Commons licenses. Thank you so much for starting off year four with a rock and bang. Anyway, and another thing we wanted to point out to our listeners is that as they know, our, our normal format on Behind the Books is we speak with a, one of our coworkers at the Mercer County Library System, and then we speak with an author. And this episode, we're giving our coworkers at the MCLS an episode off because we have two authors. And do you want to let people know why we have two authors? I am. I was hoping you would let me tell it because this is what happens as we start planning ahead. Believe it or not, we do plan what we're going to, who we're going to talk to, what we're going to talk about. And <laughs> there are times that Bob gets a little nervous that we don't have any authors lined up. So in a panic, he starts reaching out to authors, and <laughs> I think your return on investment, we, we, we ended up getting quite a few authors, and just to, re, just to respect their time, and, and we just do want to promote their books in a timely manner, so we thought, you know what, let's go ahead and do two authors, two relatively new releases in this episode. It is pretty amazing how we, we reach out to the authors and, you know, you figure, okay, I'm going to ask five or six people and maybe we'll get two or three. And then all five and six say, sure, I'd be happy to do it. So that's how we end up with multiple authors. And as Anna said, we don't want to push them too far, too far into the future. So today we have with us two female authors, two amazing women that I think people are going to enjoy hearing from. Carrie Mayer, whose new book is out called All You Have to Do is Call. And Karma Brown, whose book just came out uh, last week, I believe, What Wild Women Do. Uh, I enjoyed both of those conversations. I know you did too, Anna, and looking forward to, to our chat with both. So why don't we go ahead and get started with our first interview with Carrie Mayer in just a moment. Carrie Mayer is the USA Today bestselling author of The Paris Bookseller, The Girl in White Gloves, as well as The Kennedy Debutante. She holds an MFA from Columbia University. Her latest novel, All You Have to Do is Call, came out on September 19th. Carrie, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, of course. I'm excited to be here today. So if we could start out uh, just giving our listeners an overview, like your elevator pitch for your book. 
I never got very good at this for this book. So it is, it is, it's a novel that's loosely based on the women, real life women of the Jane Collective, who operated an underground women's health clinic in Chicago in the years before Roe. Um, that's the elevator. That's the short version. A little bit longer. It has three main point of view characters: Veronica, who's one of the founding members of Jane. Um, uh, Patty, who's a, an old friend of Veronica's, and Margaret, who is a young professor at the University of Chicago. And if you followed me from previous books, I think it's important to note that unlike my first three historical novels, which were about real life women, this novel, um, while loosely based on a real life group of women, all the characters are fictional. So they're not based on real people this time, um, which was a fun and exciting challenge for this book. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was actually one of my questions I had because it is different than than what you've done in the past. You're taking something and it really is a different beast where it's not this biographical fiction. You're taking three original characters. Nice one to kind of pick your brain and talk to you a little bit about if, if it was more challenging, if it was easier, because you kind of do have more creative license <laughs> with it at this point. There were times when I felt that I was dangling from the window of a building with no scaffolding. <laughs> um, so it was definitely harder and I'll say this. So the Kennedy debutante, which was my first published novel was not my first novel that I had ever written. I had written five unpublished novels before that in which, and none of those were historical. And all of those characters were made up from whole cloth like this book. So I'll just be honest. Like I had a little bit of like a thing about this book. I was like, maybe I'm not supposed to make people up. Like maybe this is not my forte. <laughs> um, and so it took a few drafts for me to kind of, to get these characters and like sufficiently to, to, to say, okay, yeah, no scaffolding. That's just where we're at right now. And um, at one point, my editor had a really great suggestion. She's like, you know, Carrie, you know, for your other characters, you've read so much history and biography that you really got to know those characters through your research. But she's like, what if you wrote like just little mini biographies of each of your characters? And I was like, huh, let's try that. <laughs> and it really, it really helped. Um, and now I actually, I also teach creative writing now at Emerson. And now I give that as an assignment. Very nice. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned too, that it's, it's a little bit different than the other ones, but how did you get yourself familiar and drawn to the Jane collective originally? Cause that's an actual real thing. Even if the characters are a little bit, you know, not quite if the characters are fictional, but the Jane collective is an actual real, real element. Yeah, so I learned first learned about the Jane Collective in the before days of 2018. Um, I was just driving to meet a friend of mine for a movie, and I was listening to NPR, as I often do, and they did one of their great narrative news stories about the women of the Jane Collective. And I just, like, as they talked about what they did, I was like, what? Really? They did? <laughs> it was so amazing to me. I mean, here were these young women without any special medical training, who learned to safely provide abortions and inexpensively to the women of Chicago who needed it Bef illegally. You know, so when the law was unjust, they rose to the occasion. And I was just completely floored by this. 
And of, as soon as I park the car, I of course fire up Amazon to see if anyone else has written about them um, in novel form. And it didn't look like anyone had. And I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just like, it, it just arrived in my imagination as a novel. So, but you know, but 2018 was, it's, in some ways it seems like a long time ago and in other ways it doesn't, but you know, Kennedy debutante hadn't even come out at this moment, right? I was in the middle of writing my novel about Grace Kelly. And so it took a while for me to get to write about Jane. And in fact, the first time we, my agent and I floated it to my publisher, they were like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> this, that was in 2019. And so, but they were like, well, we, well, we love the Paris bookseller idea. So I went, and, so after Grace Kelly, I wrote about, I wrote the Paris bookseller, which was great. I wanted to write that book too. And then in 2020, we're in the pandemic, or this is the fall of 2020, we're in the pandemic and the world is starting to look a little different. And I get the green light for this. At this time, I was calling it the Jane book. <laughs> um, so I start writing it and then Dobbs happens you know, as I'm in the kind of revising stages. And Dobbs brings out the righteous feminist in everybody. Um, and I think they uh, suddenly people knew about the Jane Collective. They were back in the news in a, in a much different way because like, here we are, like we need Jane again. Like, hey, Jane, <laughs> that signal time. So yeah, so that was kind of the evolution of the project from my first idea through getting, you know, trying trying to write it and then getting to write it. And, you know, here we are in 2023. But here's my thing, Carrie. <laughs> I took women's studies courses. I'm from Illinois. I had never heard yeah. of the Jane Collective. Yeah. So I like when once I started reading your book and look, I'm like, what? But what? And kind of like you, when you're re listening to this news story. So it's, it's just amazing that it was not known, but what's I think even more interesting as while it was going on, even though there were these illegal things that were happening, people knew what was yeah. going on yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they were, they were letting it happen, willingly letting it happen because it was people helping people in times okay. of need. Yes. One of my favorite, the facts that I uncovered in my research was, I mean, not uncovered, it was just right there for me to read about, was the clergy referral service. Priests and rabbis and imams were all helping women get abortions before Roe, <laughs> um, as they are now. I've heard some also post-Dobbs um, news stories about how the clergy referral service has reconvened to help people get the care they need. And, you know, we I use the term clergy referral service, which is an actual term, um, but it's, it was really like, a, it, was, it wasn't like they had summits <laughs> and meetings. It was just like a group of like-minded, connected uh, religious leaders who, who figured out how to help, help people in their communities. Well, and that's another thing that makes it interesting with your book, right? You had the idea back in 2018. The book is set in 1970s, but it's very timely for right now where we are in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, you know, there was no way I ever could have imagined that this was the world it was going to be published into, right? Just like no way. You know, somebody who I was talking to earlier today put it really well and I'm going to try and think of how she she put it. It was like it was almost like the universe 
put off my the 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 writing and publication of this book to the right moment, like when people needed it. I hope I hope I hope so. I mean, I I really hope that people some people who read it will feel seen by the book. Um, you know, people who are um, trying to get care to people who need it um, will seen be feel seen by the book. Um, and people who maybe are on the fence about the whole issue or some aspect of reproductive justice might ha have their eyes open by something that one of the characters says or does. Right. Right. Um, so we'll see. Well, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the characters, because as you said, it's not it's loosely based on the Jane Collective. And I'm sure that a lot of there was a ton of research that you that you still had to do. And I don't know if you were looking through journals or newspaper articles or if did you even and I mean, did you talk with Heather? I think it's Heather Booth. Is that Heather right? Booth, Is that no, I did not talk to Heather Booth. Okay. But yeah, I tried, I tried to talk to I I wound up talking to one peripheral member of Jane, which was very eye-opening. She still lives in Chicago. And and so that was interesting. And you know, there are two terrific books about written by women who were involved with Jane that I read. I, you know, I there was a documentary called um, She's Beautiful When She's Angry that is about second wave feminism, but really uh, talks a lot about Jane, which was very informative. You know, there were, you know, my, my research process is a lot like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's like making a soup without a, without a recipe. I wanted to ask you too, kind of a, a big, big picture kind of question about, I know that you're kind of drawn, you're drawn to historical fiction and that's appealed to you. And I remember seeing somewhere that with the Paris bookseller, you had that idea for that book decades ago, right? And then it kind of percolated there when, before you wrote it. What is it that appeals to you about that whole genre of historical fiction? Um, so, so yeah, like I, it's, it's a little bit like that soup metaphor. I like to cook and, and I like to do it without a recipe, but I also really like um, feeling like I'm learning something as well as putting together a piece of art. You know, I, and whenever I tell people that I write historical fiction, especially if it's like a stranger, they're like, they're inevitably like their voice, their, their face like lights up and they say, it's my favorite genre. And I always ask them why. And they say, it's because I get to learn something while get, getting swept up in a, in a great story, which is exactly the reason I like to write it. Well, and it's, I mean, we're talking about the historical fiction aspect of it, but there was also this exploration of female friendship um, yeah. in the book as well. I mean, you had these relationships between these women, and I'm talking about the three, you know, there was Margaret, Patty, and um, Veronica. And Patty, you know, housewife, kids, she's the one who's kind of the leader of the of the Jane Collective at this point. And Patty, her friend, has no idea what, what she's doing. And she's got some different views going on. And there really is this complexity that, that you've woven in. And then you bring in Margaret, which is a whole nother um, component, which I will not do any spoilers for that. But <laughs> it really talks about women and the different ways women can support one another. And what, how, what was important for you to portray that, how to portray that in the book? Well, I really wanted to portray female friendship in all its complexity, right? And you've already, in your description of the characters, you've already, I think, given readers a really good idea of those complexities, right? You know, and in, in particular with, and you know, I wanted to explore a couple of different kinds of friendships. So with Mark, with uh, with Veronica and um, Patty, we have a long-term friendship. And I think everyone can relate to this. We've got a friend, you've been friends forever. 
if you were to meet now, you probably wouldn't be friends, but you are friends because of the, partly because of the shared history and nothing can ever really replace that. Um, and then we have new friends and sometimes that can start to feel like a triangle, um, you know, with our old friends. And so Patty is experiencing some of that, I think with, with, uh, Veronica and her new friend, Siobhan, who she's founded Jane with, um, and Patty just does not get Siobhan. She's like, oh my God, this woman's divorced. Like, why would she do that to her kids? So, you know, and there, so there's all this like interiority of these, like the women, like, what they're saying to each other and what they're actually thinking in their minds <laughs> when they're saying the words, right? And so I really wanted to explore that, the, all of those complexities and disconnects. And then we have Margaret who's like new to town and all of her friendships in Chicago are new, right? Um, but, and, and her friendships are based in part with, um, uh, on work. So she's got like sort of friend colleagues um, and she's learning what, I think adult female friendship really looks like by, especially once she gets involved with Jane. So it's just, there's so many ways to come at it. And I, I tried to come at it from a few different perspectives. Well, and it was such a different time. I mean, it's, it's the, you think at that time, I mean, I think at that time women, I might be wrong, but I don't think you could even get a credit card. Like you had to have. That's correct. Is that right? That's what I mean, really. Sure. Yeah. Right. I mean, Margaret, yeah. I mean, there's a little bit, there's a little passing thing about this, that Margaret couldn't get a lease on her own place without her dad co-signing. Uh, we've been talking with Carrie Mayer from, about her new book, All You Have to Do is Call. We highly recommend our listeners to check it out. And Carrie, we wish you nothing but success. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It was fun chatting with both of you. Welcome back, everyone, to the next segment of Behind the Books, where we talk about some of the programs that we have coming up in the next couple of weeks here at the Mercer County Library System. Thanks so much to Carrie Mayer for taking the time to talk to us about all you have to do is call. And before we get into some of the programs that will be coming up, just wanted to remind everyone that on November 7th and November 10th, Election Day and Veterans Day observed We'll be working under holiday hours where our Ewing, Hickory Corner, Lawrence, and West Windsor branches will be open from 9.30 to 5, and the rest of the branches will be closed. Bob, I do want to share a couple of programs that are coming up virtually um, for November, or the first part of November. Uh, November is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and we have a program taking place on Monday, November 6th at 11 in the morning. And this is going to be presented by the Alzheimer's Association, the Greater New Jersey chapter. And it's the title of the program is Understanding and Responding to Dementia-Related Behavior. So again, that program is taking place on Monday, November 6th at 11 in the morning. November is also Native American Heritage Month, and we have a program taking place on Monday, November 13th at 6.30 in the evening. Uh, this is going to be the program Mary Jemison, the White Woman of the Genesee, 
And this is going to be portrayed by Al Alyssa Dupuis, who is from the Ladies of History Historical Productions. And again, that is taking place on Monday, November 13th at 6.30 in the evening. Two programs I'm sure people are going to be interested in. Also, um, want to remind people that November is National Novel Writing Month, also known as NaNoWriMo. And you can check some of our branches. They'll have some programs set up for that. It's also Native American Heritage Month, so make sure to check out some of the programs at the local branches that we'll have going on for that as well. In addition to our normal plethora of activities, I'm sure there'll be some Thanksgiving things going on later on in the month, but check out our website, mcl.org, or you can look on the app, MyMCLSNJ, to keep up with what we have going on. As far as what we have going on on the podcast... Next up will be our interview with our second author of the program. We'll be right back to speak with Karma Brown. Karma Brown is the author of seven best-selling novels, including the number one international and USA Today bestseller, Recipe for a Perfect Wife, and her debut, Come Away With Me, a Globe and Mail Best Book of 2015. She is also the author of the nonfiction bestseller, The 4% Fix, How One Hour Can Change Your Life, and has co-authored two best-selling holiday rom-coms under the pen name Maggie Knox. An award-winning journalist, Karma has been published in Self, Redbook, and Today's Parents, among many others. She lives just outside of Toronto with her husband, daughter, and a labradoodle named Fred. Her latest novel, What Wild Women Do, came out in October of 2023. Karma, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to chat with you today. So you just had What Wild Women Do come out um, last month. Can you give us just kind of a brief synopsis elevator pitch for the book? Yeah, it's really a book about self-discovery, and it focuses on two women. Uh, one in 1975, a socialite-turned-feminist who ends up leaving her very gilded life and heading off to the Adirondacks to this great camp that her family used to own. And while there, she runs these weekends for women to come and uncover their wild ways. And that's one storyline. And then we go to the other timeline, which is a screenwriter. She's 30 years old. She's really at a crossroads in her life and in her relationship and with her career and isn't quite sure what's coming next for her. And she goes to the Adirondacks to this isolated cabin in the woods with her fiance, who is also a novelist and a writer, and they're planning to work on their creative projects. But of course, the woods keeps a lot of secrets and things come come out uh, from, you know, under the underbrush of the woods. And Rowan discovers, she's the screenwriter, uh, a secret about what happened to our 1975 feminist who had disappeared without a trace in 75. And that really begins this journey of her for her self-discovery journey, but also to learn more about what happened to this mysterious woman in 1975. I love how you work the dual timeline. Um, and you did that also in recipe for a wife. And I just love how it's like, we're always learning. We can learn from the past. We're um, as part of that self-discovery as well. 
And is it is that something that you, I mean, I know you did it in recipe uh, for a wife, but is it, is that something that, that like you strive for? Do you always want to try and do that dual timeline or what is, how do you decide this is what I'm going to do with this? Well, with recipe for perfect wife, it was just, I had this idea for the 1950s timeline. And what I really wanted to do was to offer this sort of counterbalance view of have we really gone like come as far as we thought we have um, as women in this world and with society. And so that's, it felt like a natural fit to run a modern timeline along with the past and then to find a way for them to be connected. And I just, it, it just worked out for this idea as well. I mean, I don't know that I'll do it again, but I really wanted to do a compare and contrast again. And I love the challenge of trying to fit these women together because they're living in completely different eras and times and really nothing connects them except you know this secret or this item or this place and so it's a it's a fun challenge and it's also nice to write historical you know I grew up in the 70s and that was fun for me to have some nostalgia around a lot of the stuff from that time, like the quick chocolate powder that for anyone who remembers that trying to make it blend into milk <laughs> is nearly impossible. Um, so that part was a fun challenge. And you mentioned the challenge and I would think that, you know, doing the dual timeline seems like it would be a challenge, but you do it so well. Is it something that you found that after you did it the first time it was a little easier in this book or is it still, you know, a challenge to kind of get the two to, to co-mingle? I think I found it easier this time just because I understood where the pitfalls were. But interestingly, with this book, with What Wild Women Do, I wrote the modern timeline first entirely. And then I went and wrote the past timeline. And then I spent like a year making them fit together. Um, with recipe, I really alternated back and forth between the timelines. And I'm not sure why I did it differently this time. It just was what happened. I started with the modern timeline and then I just suddenly was you know, so far into that, I thought, well, let's see what happens. But I was more relaxed about understanding the the ebbs and flows of going back from the past to the present and not feeling this need to always be alternating chapters between, between past and present. Because in Wild Women, you spend, you know, a few chapters in the past, and then you'll go have a few chapters in the present. And so I, I did trust myself a little more with the rhythm of it because I had done it before, but it was so messy. It was very messy. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you admit that it was messy. <laughs> it was so messy. If you could have seen my first draft or my 10th draft or whatever, it, I mean, it was just messy. There was a lot of moving around. One of the things I love about what wild women do is that they are escaping to nature. Um, and just having done a summer vacation in upstate New York um, mm. in a very remote location, I love the aspect of that that nature is playing into their discovery. And I just wondered if that was something that um, you are writing from experience uh, or, you know, kind of where that idea came from. Well, I really like to make my setting another character. And so I leaned into that heavily with with this isolated, you know, woods that is just giant and you can really easily get lost. But then there's also so much happening with the trees and nature. And so, I mean, I'm, you know, I just turned 51, but like last year I became a birder. Suddenly I had binoculars and my Merlin app and I was spending a lot of time 
figuring out, you know, being excited about the birds in the backyard. Um, I love walking through the, the woods. And so I do, I grew up like that. I grew up very feral in many ways, just in, in the woods, on a farm. And I feel like I'm going back to that a little bit. So it, it was quite purposeful and I enjoy spending time personally, just in nature. It's so relaxing and quieting and peaceful so it was a it was really a joy to be able to do that with the book also to spend time in that way in that story do you find actual locations to base these on like in recipe for a perfect wife was there a a house that you saw that said like that it got into your mind that this was a good setting and was there you know an actual camp that exists for this one are there things that are they just kind of things that you create in your own mind as you're going through the book well, in Recipe for Perfect Wife, I had this vision of the home and then I went and Googled one to find one that looked similar so that I could describe some of the other elements that I didn't quite have a perfect vision for. With Camp Calloway in What Wild Women Do, as a child, I had the opportunity to visit a camp called Camp Sagamore in the Adirondacks, which used to belong to the Vanderbilts. And we stayed in Gloria Vanderbilt's cabin and it's quite a rustic uh, spot, you know, it's it's beautiful and and large and and uh, was very you know fancy, glamping for sure back in those days. But it's still quite rustic, and so just the experience of being at this place and learning about the camp and about nature and about the woods surrounding me as a child really stuck for me. And so I absolutely based Camp Calloway on my childhood memories and experiences of going to Camp Sagamore. Another little nugget with your, um, with what wild women do, as well as with the recipe with, for a perfect wife, is there's that mystery element to it. And I wondered if that's, do you know, going into it, there's going to be that kind of some, that's going to be the driving forces that, that kind of discovery, that mystery aspect of it. Yeah, I do. I do some plotting. I do quite a bit of sorting things out ahead of time I'm you know more of a plotter than a pantser and if anyone doesn't know what a pantser is it's someone who writes by the seat of their pants like there's no plan I am not that type of writer I typically do a lot of planning I think about my characters what they were like as children and in high school and favorite colors and you know ex-boyfriends and girlfriends and and then I put all that aside once I start writing so it lives in my head so I did have I had the structure for the mystery. I understood what was supposed to be happening. And then there's always problems and always things that don't work that you have to figure out as you go. But I do usually have that set out well in advance. Well, I do think that for those who read Recipe for a Perfect Wife, they're really going to enjoy the new book as well, because as as we know, you seem to have that down in terms of the dual timeline. And, and I know I enjoyed the first one. I'm really looking forward to the second one as well. And then the one bad thing, though, is you don't want to be a male in one of your books because <laughs> they, they don't come across too well. I know. I'm sorry about that, Bob. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, I often say, like, the book is about the women and the men are there. You have to have villains in the story to make fiction work. And, you know, these are just the books I write. I want my women to be the hero, the, the heroines and the heroes of every story. And so... Unfortunately, sometimes, you know, despite being surrounded by amazing men that I love and having so many excellent role models, for some reason, 
you know, I have to make them a little bit villainous in my stories. I think you're right, though. You have to have that variable to make the story go so. <laughs> you you do. There has to be conflict, otherwise, there's no story. It can't be all cotton candy and rainbows. <laughs> it can't. No, no. Well, we've been talking with Karma Brown about her 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 book that just came out, What Wild Women Do. Karma, we wish you the best of luck. I know that the book has gotten rave, rave reviews. So we do encourage all of our listeners to check it out. And again, thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed chatting with you today. Welcome back, everyone, as we wrap up this episode of Behind the Books. Thanks so much to Karma Brown for taking the time to talk to us uh, about the new book she has coming out, What Wild Women Do, as well as her writing process. Uh, and I know, you know, when we talked about having an episode with two authors, we thought this was a perfect pairing to put Carrie and Karma together, two women who whose writing is centered around, you know, women and what women do and I enjoyed listening to what both of them had to say. Talking with Karma about her book, I, I, I the thing I really am, am fascinated with her stories, and and this was in her recipe for a perfect wife as well, is that dual timeline component and bringing those together, and um, how something in the past relates to something in the future, and vice versa. So I, I, I really think that was my one of the things I found most interesting to talk with her about. And when we talked to her, I just finished Recipe for a Perfect Wife, and I enjoyed reading that book, and I'm looking forward to What Wild Women Do, which is out now, so that'll be nice. And with Carrie Mayer and All You Have to Do is Call, she was writing about the Jane Collective, and that was something that you know, both of us, we were really intrigued by as a subject that we hadn't known a whole lot about before talking to her and getting into her book. I'll tell you what, I still cannot believe. I mean, I grew up in Illinois. The Jane Collective happened in Chicago and just no recollection of ever hearing about it, learning about it. Um, I did uh, follow up after our conversation with her and I looked at some of the resources that she had shared with us. One was the documentary, She's Beautiful When She's Angry, which did have a segment on the Jane Collective in there. Um, and then just, I started going through um, periodicals using some of our databases that we have here at the branch. And I know you and I are on the same page when we say we really enjoyed talking to both Carrie and Karma. Uh, hopefully people enjoyed getting a chance to hear their perspective on writing and about the books that they have coming up. I would assume next episode we'll be back to our usual format. We'll talk to somebody from the Merce County Library System. We have more authors lined up and ready to go for you. And uh this was a lot of fun. Hopefully everybody enjoyed it. We do want to thank our authors one more time, Carrie Mayer, as well as Karma Brown for taking time to talk with us. And we want to wish them continued success in their writing. Bob, it was a great time. I'll see you back here in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Behind the Books, a podcast by the Mercer County Library System. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a review. For more information about the Mercer County Library System, please visit us on the web at mcl.org. We are produced by Laura Narosik. Our thanks goes out to Kim Livingston for her technical expertise, as well as to Dana Benner for creating our cover art. Your hosts are Bob Noose and Anna Vanskoy.